Apologies, there's a little tiny bit of popping in the intro and outro of this, but the bulk of the podcast is crystal clear. Greg Wah and Dan Beeston are smart enough to know better. Welcome to episode 94 of Smart Enough Know Better. A podcast of science, comedy, and ignorance. I'm Dan Beeston. I'm Greg Waugh. And in this episode, we're going to be talking to a paleontologist. That's right. And more importantly, a tephophonist. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. You still can't say that word. That's great. That's even better. If you don't know what that means, you better listen because you'll find out. Before we get to that, what did you do this week in science? I was invited as one half of Smart After Better to go to the planting festival at Woodford in Brisbane in southeast Queensland, where I was asked to be a... Plant. A plant. <laughs> I was asked to be a speaker and a comedy debate. So I got to work with... Oh, that'd comedians. be good. Yeah, some comedians, and I worked with Catherine Devaney, if anyone knows who Catherine Devaney is from The Age. Ah, yes. She's, she's fierce. She's a very... I'm glad she's on my side, put it that way. <laughs> so what was, the, what, was the, what was the debate? Two heads are better than one, and I was on the affirmative. So I instantly had it one, because ridiculous, really, to say, oh, yes, people working by themselves are always better than people working in groups. That's just silly. No man is an island. That's right. Except right. for Island Man, with all the powers of a... At all. Yes, but he, of course, has little coral keys and, yes. And his secret weakness is uh, atomic bombs. <laughs> Only from the French. Yes, so that was really fun. And then I was also a moderator for a, a talk about permaculture. And one of the people there was a man by the name of David Holmgren, and he is one of the co-instigators of permaculture. I'd never heard of David Holmgren before, but I learned a lot about him. And it's very funny to be near someone that everyone else just finds amazing when you don't know who they are. You know? <laughs> so I was just sitting. He, look, he was a very clever man, and he'd written lots of books about this, and he really knew his stuff. So I was just kind of gaining information so I could be a good moderator. And people were talking to him like like he was royalty. And then later on, when you realize he's one of the co-instigators of permaculture in the world from 40 years ago, you kind of go, oh, yes, you are kind of important because I was just polite but unknowing. So it was, it was good, though. And, and I learned a lot about uh, permaculture in the, in the talk that I had. Yeah, set up a worm farm yet? Well, no, I learned a lot about it. I'm not going to go and do it. That would be madness. Put so. up a windmill? No, no, none of that. I'm sorry. Make a bonsai river with a it's, tiny uh, water wheel? I don't know if that's Get some sheep? Yeah. I have no idea. You probably need to go to the talk as well, Dan. I think you need to. Probably it's more than I do. Possibly I need to cancel my order for sheep. <laughs> <laughs> so what did you get up to in your week of science? Oh, I had a very exciting week in science. I went to the Australian capital for measles outbreaks. <laughs> and where's that? I went to Byron Bay oh, goodness. and Lennox Heads, which oh. are two of, the, two of the four big ones. Right. Where okay. basically maybe 60% of kids are vaccinated. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Uh, Indeed, there's a place called uh, Mullumbimby where it's 49% uh, vaccination rates. Thanks, Mullumbimby. Uh, yeah. Thanks. It's the spot. Ah, uh, very good. Yes. So, good. yes, there's a lot of signs for chiropractors and not a lot for physios, and there's a... <laughs> A lot, a lot of crystal shops. Man, if yeah, if definitely. crystals were as good as peer-reviewed science and vaccinations, yeah, yeah. Woo, 
Byron yeah. would be on top yeah. of it. Oh, Although they'd, if they were, in fact, that powerful, Byron would probably cast them off as, you know, big crystal and go for something <laughs> else. They, yes, well, this is probably true. Very sad, isn't it? It's all very sad, but uh, oh well. Did you have fun there? Was it good beyond the madness, the woo? All the woo? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm a bit itchy now, though. <laughs> Welcome, Caitlin Syme, to Smart Enough to Know Better. You are a PhD candidate at the University of Queensland, and you work in... Paleontology, toponymy, I knew the first word. That's dinosaur stuff. Yep. That you made that second word up. No, no. Oh, fine. It's forensic science without the legal stuff, really. <laughs> Toponymist. Toponymist. Yes. Toponymy. Yeah. So it's forensic science for fossil taxa. So if there was like a like a gangster dinosaur that had a little dinosaur whack for money, they call you in. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, that was... But that's, that's exactly it. Yeah, <laughs> then you're back into forensic science, really. But, yep. um, yeah, when there isn't any legal case involved, it's taphonomy. Oh, okay. So yeah. is it only dinosaurs that's taphonomy? taphonomy no, or? no. All, oh. all fossil taxa, even in archaeology, mm. there's taphonomy as well. Okay, yeah, right. Yeah. So you look back. You're trying to work out what happened based on fossils. Is that, is that a, that's a, right. a layman's way of putting it? Yeah. Right. Yeah, okay, yeah. few. Okay. So like an episode of CSI. Yes. You find a body and you try to figure out how they died and hmm. how long they've been dead for and what it happened exactly. Okay, cool. Yeah. So paleontology is sort of split up into a bunch of different pursuits? Yeah, special, specialties. Disciplines. So some of them yeah. would be just... <laughs> d- disciplines, that's the word uh, I'm looking for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll get there in the end. And so I guess some would be like they'd specialise in digging it out of the ground and some of them specialise in taking some really clever photos and your job is to look at all evidence and go... How did this What's come together? going on? Yeah, I mean, most paleontologists will do a bit of everything. Yeah. So we do have fossil preparators that are really, really good at what they do, and we leave them to do the preparing to make the beautiful fossils for publication. That's but, the boring mm-hmm. stuff, isn't it? That's the boring stuff. <laughs> no one wants to do that. That's what you get all the, all the students like yourself to do, I assume. Yes. <laughs> yes, that's how we learn. That's how we right, learn. Okay. Most paleontologists will do the field work as well as study a nicely prepared fossil mm. they might prepare the fossil themselves if there's no preparator on hand so is it one of those things where they find a skull of an animal that's been fossilized and then they go wait that groove in the side fits a t-rex's tooth therefore we think a t-rex probably bit its head off or something like that yeah yeah it is. so if they find a, like a big gouge mark in the side of a skull then is it part of your job to work out what happened yeah. and, and why they all fit together yeah exactly uh, yeah okay. so when there's anything on a fossil that's uh, like a disease or it's a developmental thing that's mm. paleopathology but as soon as it's <laughs> any outside force that's acted on a carcass, oh. so it could be that yeah something's killed it or scavenged on its carcass after it died. Right. That's fun trying to figure out. Ah, so you okay. might have an animal that was attacked and it survived and its bones have healed again. So that's kind of the pathology side of it. Right. But once it's dead, all of the signs that you're looking for are taphonomic. Oh, okay, right. Okay, I understand now. Got yeah. it, got it, right. So if there's a big scratch in a dinosaur skull, yep. what's the difference between a scratch during an attack and a scratch after it's come, something's come along to eat a dead one? Well, if the animal survived for long enough and bone has healed back over that scratch, yep. then you can tell it survived. But if it's been attacked and killed... Yep then you're not really going to be able to tell just from looking at the scratches. It's going to look the same as if it was scavenged Ah, upon. Mm. Yeah, but if you've got a carcass that's got a lot of tooth marks and scratch marks and it's still fairly intact, so it doesn't look like it's been washed down a river and bones have really broken up and been abraded and rounded and that sort of thing, Mm. then you could say, well, it's probably been killed, eaten, 
and then buried really quickly. Yeah, yeah. right. Okay. But if all the bones are really broken up and badly weathered, then it's probably been around for a while. Something might have eaten it after it died. It is kind of hard to tease apart. So mm. do, do we find it? Because the big famous finds of dinosaurs, like the, they always go, there's a whole skeleton that was found here. Yeah. And that's really kind of the big sexy parts of it. But I'm assuming, in my mind, you'd normally have dinosaurs, just like every other animal would get to be predation once it would be torn to pieces and, uh, and, and an animal would come and take a bone away here and then yeah. the wind would take it over there and water. So you just find bits and pieces of bones all over the place normally. Yeah, I mean, it's a bit of both. So because... To fossilise something, you need really good circumstances. You mm. need to be lucky, in a sense. So <laughs> off, you, you can get what are called Lagerstaden, which are... Of course. Yes, of course they are. Uh, they, a they're German... called Lagerstaden, but who are they called Lagerstaden by? <laughs> <laughs> it's a German word, and it's really beautiful fossil site. So if you think mm. of Archaeopteryx, mm. mm-hmm. that fossil comes from a Lagerstaden. And so those right. animals definitely haven't been disturbed after they died. They've mm. been buried immediately and they're intact. Mm. Okay. Yeah, so you can find those and you can also find just weathered bits of bone. And, mm. yeah, it, more commonly you'll find those weathered bits of scrappy they bone. They get taken over, yeah. Yeah, but it doesn't mean you can't find nicely articulated fossils. Mm. Okay, so right now, let's, let's just, just to try and get the listeners on board. Mm. You're an expert on this sort of stuff. If we jump forward 10 million years yep. and I'm found... Uh, fossilized in the dirt. Yep. What happened right now to fossilize me in the dirt? Like if I became a fossil in the dirt, like something. What terrible tragedy would have to befall us right now for me to become a fossil for for hundred million years? Right. Really tragedy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Dan. Yeah. You, if there was a flood, a flood, a flood with a lot of sand and mud and debris. Okay. You'd get buried really, really quickly. So it's actually really likely on yeah. a day like today. <laughs> yeah. Like there are yeah. literally sandbags yes. at the door of this office. <laughs> yes, we've come. We've come to uh, Caitlin's place of work, and there are sandbags, which is never a good sign. I'm ready for now to be fossilized, which is always a good thing. Yes, yes. So rapid burial is really important if you want a nice intact okay. skeleton to get fossilised. Okay. Otherwise, you can get buried at a later date, but it might only be an arm or half a skull or whatever right. that's found. As, as, as all of you guys, after being trapped here, you sort of eat me or something like that. Yeah, but washing into your body of water. Right, so, that's the best way yeah, to do it. Yeah, yeah, a lake or a river. Oh, okay. That's the best way to go. Okay, that's right. Good to know your listeners. If you want to become a fossil, that's how you do it. And there you go. Uh, I prefer to get encased in a giant droplet of amber. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Yeah. And then you'd be woken up in 10 million years' time or 100 million years' time. Think, Welcome to Human Park! No, 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 no. Just Dan. I'm 80 metres tall. <laughs> <laughs> and, and female, which would be weird. Oh, yeah. They're, they're all girls. Anyway, but life finds a way. We're getting off the point uh, entirely. So what made you go, I want to be a taphonomist? Well, I've always wanted to be a paleontologist. Mm. And I was really interested in why we find some fossils intact, like in Lagerstaden, why they're really beautifully preserved Mm. and why some aren't, Mm. you know, what exactly is going on. So it's, yeah, whenever I looked at fossil reconstructions and beautiful artwork of these animals, and then I would look at the actual fossil that was found, you know, it might be scrappy and only half of it's there. Mm. I'm like, Mm -hmm. what happened? What happened to that animal? You know, you, you sort of have to reverse engineer it hmm. to make your beautiful reconstruction. But what led to it looking like that in the first place? I don't know. It's really curious about Something that. About it. Ah, okay. so yeah. you're really intent on that, that first moment of it. It's millions and dozens of millions of years old. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, 
And that's the boring bit. It's that very first bit where you're like, um, that's where I want to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm most interested in the stuff that happens before burial. But taphonomy does cover stuff that happens after burial as well. Okay. And the actual fossilisation process. Mm. And then there's modern taphonomy, taphonomic bias, which is when you're collecting the fossil, if you just don't see a bit and you don't pick it up or if yeah. it's getting weathered yeah. by modern processes, that's actually <laughs> taphonomy as well. Seems that this uh, this uh, particular raptor had the word Adidas imprinted <laughs> along the thigh bone. It's drinking a can of Coke when it died. Damn it! How's that possible? So that, okay, I'm still. I realise I'm still trying to get my head around what you do. I'm intrigued. I thought it'd be easy, but I'll keep going. So you're looking at it's dead. Yep. And it's not fossilised yet. That's your area of, of expertise between death and fossilization. Yes, yes. Right, okay, yeah, yeah got yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, So uh, everything that can happen to a carcass before it becomes a fossil. Got it, okay. Yeah. No, I'm with so you now. if you yes. think of it, it's a bit like a data recorder. It's like this carcass. So it's like you plonk it in a lake or a river and it will record in a way on the bone mm. what's happening to it. So bone's really good because it is so, like soft enough that you can scratch it and mark it and break it, mm. but hard enough that it does fossilize pretty well not yeah. as you know not as well as we'd like but <laughs> <laughs> but much better than soft tissue so then you mm. look at that bone after the fact and say okay it's got these scratches it's broken like this what recorded data can i get from that what does right. that mean are you talking about things like weather events or climate events at that time is that what you're talking yeah, about yep. yeah yep. it can include that so you can look at micro scale mm. bacterial decay oh, right, okay. meso scale which is other animals scavenging and trampling mm. carcasses and i mentioned acid and alkaline situations yeah well. yeah yep changes mm. in water chemistry yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then the larger scale climatic changes and yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. So if you've got storm events, if you've got tsunami, for example, <laughs> then well, you'd be able to see giant boulders mixed in with carcasses. Ah, so you're not ah. just looking at the carcass itself; you're looking at things around the carcass. Yeah, that's right. So the um, like irregulars, I think they call the regulars, like the the big the ring rocks. Oh yeah, yeah, like yeah. If, if, like yeah, the some... clasts, really, really big clasts. Yeah, the regulars that are dropped by glaciers. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. rock. How does rock get here? Yeah, a glacier dropped this right here. Okay, yeah, right, yeah, right, yeah. okay. Around these animals. Yeah. How do you know, though, that it happened at the same time as when that animal was, was lying there or just didn't happen before or after? Well, that is an interesting thing to try and figure out. There's different formations that are called time averaged, and that means that these carcasses are being deposited with mm. a little bit of sediment over a really, really long amount of time. So mm. when you look at these fossils, these animals aren't ones that lived at the same time together. Mm. They actually do, do span a really long amount of time. Ah. And there are ways of figuring that out. If you've got a rock that's what we call massive, so there's no structure in it, it's just like one big block of sandstone, mm-hmm. then you can Like barely... this college, like this university. Yeah. <laughs> the university we're standing in right now. <laughs> then you can, you can barely <laughs> safely assume that that was all dumped on the carcass at the one time, and that mm. was a fairly quick event. If you've got lots of layers of sand and mud and sand and mud and sand, mud Mm. looking at modern river and lake ecosystems and and sedimentology you can say well that takes time Mm. you know you don't get layers of sand and mud overnight or even weeks or months you have Mm. to have rivers moving courses Mm. so they're depositing mud in one spot then that river over thousands of years migrates away and all of a sudden you're looking at a sandy terrestrial area and a couple thousand years later it's migrating back again and dumping more mud Yep. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So right. if your carcasses yep. are in units, sedimentary units like that, yeah. then you can be fairly certain that you're looking at a long period of time. And then right. you can also do radiocarbon dating on, on mm. sediments as well. Different bits of the found inside. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay, right. So mm. if you had like a pigeon 
that yes. had dead, had died, and you wanted to give it the best chance possible of becoming a fossil. Mm-hmm. Have you done that experiment yet? The best. <laughs> or, is there, or have you considered how to do that experiment? I, I have I have considered it, yeah. <laughs> it sounds kind of weird, but... Because um, I have a bag of dead pigeons. Yeah. Here's one right now. One way prepared area. <laughs> yeah, mummification really, really helps. If you mm. want the soft tissue preserved, if you want mm. the best chance of its feathers and soft tissue being preserved as well. So drying it out and keeping it really, really cool mm-hmm. and burial as well because that stops mm. rain and wind washing stuff away and other animals coming and eating it. So if you can get something sort of dehydrated and then bury it quite deep, mm. but even then you don't really know what groundwater chemistry is going to do over time. Yeah, you know, it might yeah. still, if there's a lot of oxygen in that sediment. So if you've got a really mm. porous sand, a lot of water flowing through and a lot of bacteria, then they're just going to decay it anyway. Mm. What so that's why like... muds are really good because it's hard for muds and clays. It's hard for water to flow right. through. What if you got like mm. a big glass box, gorilla glass box, <laughs> and you filled it up with like a specific sort of silt or something to mm. like lock it in there? Is that a set? Yeah, essentially, well, like a coffin, really. But yes, yes, yes. But, but, yes. But, but hang on, but we should start burying things in coffins, <laughs> but, but hang on, this is still important. It doesn't have to be pressure on it over time to turn it into stone. Pressure and heat, or at least it's pressure. To, to turn it into a fossil, what you want is a lot of mineral-rich water. Yeah, to permeate so you can't. Your you can't have a. You can't have a. Glass can't lock out the you environment. Lock, you can't yeah. lock out the. So, yeah, so you want water to flow through. Yeah, so you have yeah. a box with holes in it, and then that just defeats the purpose of having the box. No, no, you you get a closed system and you have the, you run the water through it. If you can get if you, you, get, can, yeah, if you get water coming in and going out again, you then get, oh, okay. good. Right. You get some molten metal, heat it up, right. and then burn away the bone and leave the metal there. You replace the bone with metal. Why don't you just that'll last for a while? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what? You we... could just take a cast of a modern pigeon then, chuck yes, it in the ground. Chuck it in the ground. It'd be the same. Problem solved. <laughs> Thanks, future bees. Yeah, I'm not <laughs> I'm not very gonna take over the world. What? Okay, no, I think we get way off track here. Are we allowed to talk about what you're working on now? Is, yeah. that, is that Secret Squirrel? Is that like... Because no, no, oh, no. you're, you're a PhD candidate and yeah. you're, you're about to finish? In September. September, so that's pretty, pretty soon. Pretty close, yeah. That's a, yeah. For the time of recording, that's about six months away. Yep. So yep. that's pretty... So what are you working on then? What, what amazing new stuff are you bringing to the world well, of taphonomy? Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at a fossil site that's in central western Queensland where we've found some dinosaurs and crocodiles mm-hmm. and fish. Are they alive? No. Fossil, fossil. That's a good thing. Sorry, no, I was just like, oh. That's what I know, I know that's what she wants, but I, if, if she said, no, there's a whole big field of dinosaurs, we'd be pretty happy. Come on. Well, I'm sorry. Birds, <laughs> birds are there, so. Sorry, but technically. I, I stand corrected. Technically. Yeah, um, <laughs> technically. And, yeah. yeah, where these fossils come from at Isisford, there's actually a nice artistic reconstruction of the fossil crocodile. Hmm. Apparently, tourists see that and think there's modern crocodiles in the rivers <laughs> around there. Oh. But no, no, sadly, it's, it's just yes. a fossil. Crocodile. Yeah. Right, okay. yeah, I'm trying to figure out their taphonomic history. Mm. So we have these fossils preserved in concretions, so these round boulders of sandstone. Mm. And I'm trying to figure out why those concretions formed and mm. why were the fossils in them in the first place? Because mm. we do find concretions without fossils. Right. So is it just potluck that these concretions form? Some of them capture fossils, others don't. Are they, yeah. like, are they just sort of round boulders or yeah, are they oval, dead spherical? they're oval-shaped. They're oval-shaped. Yeah, oval-shaped. Weird. Yeah. Like, if I looked at it, would I be like, someone's carved that? Or it's Possibly. kind of Possibly. Like, they are, they are pretty smooth. And you are pretty gullible. Uh, I am fairly gullible. Because <laughs> uh, I've seen, because there are the occasional formations of, like, spherical objects that yeah. come out of the ground, which mm. are so bizarre. Yeah, they, they do look quite weird. And they range okay. in size from being about 10 centimetres across to about a metre 
across. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Right, okay, so they can quite big. Yeah, yeah. So is Queensland in Australia, is that a good place to look for dinosaurs? Yeah. Because they always talk about China, like China is like the place. Well, it depends, yeah. So in Australia, hmm. certainly Queensland and Victoria are the places you want to be. Okay. But around the world, yeah, China is the new hotspot hmm. for dinosaur hmm. fossils. All the, where they keep finding all those feathered dinosaurs, Dan. Don't care. That the Don't feathered care. dinosaurs? Dan doesn't like feathered dinosaurs. Found, oh. Fan, Dan I found prehistoric galloping uh, crocodiles. Which is true. Oh, yeah. uh, yes. Yep. So you can take your dinosaurs and stuff them. But you can. With it's, feathers. With feathers, feathers, ironically. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well. So, okay, it's fine. to sleep on. Dan's, Dan's being all cool, big but his eyes. Like, listeners, Dan, Dan, that sounded pretty good, but his eyes still flashed. I can still see it. It niggles at him, niggles nah, at him. Nah, so, just, because, you know, just because it was my entire world when I was growing up, how cool dinosaurs were. And just because that's been, you know, that rug's been pulled out from under my feet, that's fine. I've replaced it. I've replaced it. I love giant crocodiliads now. Yeah, that's good. That's they're good. great. No, that's... They're easily comparable no, they to are. the greatest beasts that the earth has ever seen. No, that's fine. That's okay. I'm glad. I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, back to Caitlin. Uh, it's a bit spooky because the listeners, he's actually standing behind me and recording in this small office. So it's just, I don't want to uh, take my eyes off him because he could strike at any moment. Anyway, clever <laughs> <Leather> girl. <laughs> Okay, I, I know we probably should, we probably shouldn't say it all the time, but uh, but you work with dinosaurs. Yes, Jurassic Park. Yes, Jurassic World. Let's go to Jurassic, Jurassic World. World. Mm. When you watch that, do you, does your heart just break? Do you sit there and go, "Oh my god," a or do you go, "Oh, that's all right"? A little, a little. Mm. Only because, well, for Jurassic Park, it really did bring paleontology back into the spotlight. Mm. A lot of people say, "Oh, it's just a monster movie, so you shouldn't mm. worry about the accuracy of it." But to a lot of people, that is what dinosaurs look like. So with Jurassic World, it is disappointing that they won't have feathers on their dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah, what a shame. Uh. <laughs> Terrible shame. Yeah. I, I um, read an article about it recently, and they were saying how they didn't want to keep up with, they decided not to keep up with the evidence of the time. And you're yeah, like, no, nah, there, there are ways around it. I mean, most movie plots have holes in them anyway. They mm, could have just yeah. added the feathers and ignored it. But yeah, what, you could, what you could say is that you're engineering these dinosaurs from DNA from mosquitoes and having to combine it with frog DNA or whatever it was yeah. they were saying they were combining it with. And that you don't know what genetic markers to tick on and off necessarily. Mm. And if you find fossils with feathers on them, mm. then maybe you will start looking for that and turning on See? the feather gene. See, there you go. See, it's Mrs. Is it Spielberg. Is it Spielberg? No, wait. Spielberg yeah. did the first one. Is, is Spielberg doing this one? Oh, I'm assuming so. So, 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 Mr. Spielberg, <laughs> there you have it. This is a paleontologist explaining how you can get out of the problem that you're in. I think that would work. I, I just think. really, I, I just, I'd be happy with just a scene with Chris Pratt going, I understood that the current research says that they were feathered. It's like, yeah, we tried that. It looked ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> or even better, yeah, we did try feathered. And then she ate the feathered one. She went out of her way to kill them all. <laughs> the angry, angry. The ones we gave feathers flew away. <laughs> <laughs> Cut to New York. Ah! Ah! Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> There's the next bit, Jurassic 5. It's in the air. Anyway, so, so at least it brings it back to public awareness. Mother, awareness thank yeah. you, yes. So that's, that's, that's the only positive you see in it, really? It depends if you do see it as a monster film or not. So mm. I, I do see it as a science communication tool if used correctly. Mm, mm. So, well, it's going to communicate stuff about dinosaurs, whether it's accurate or not. Whatever yes. they bring to the screen will be what people think dinosaurs look like, how they behave. Yeah. So I, I guess what I don't have 
too much of a problem with is the main plot of the film being a genetically engineered different, even yeah. though they're all technically genetically engineered, but mm, mm, a mm. new species that they've created. Yeah. I don't mind whatever it does because it's, that's, that is completely made up. Yeah. That is fake. So it can rampage around like a monster. Yeah. I don't care. Firing that guns and drinking, yeah. drinking, uh, smoking cigars and like yeah, whereas the playing crash. Of the... Shape, shape-shifting into Chris Pratt. That's right. <laughs> oh, spoilers. <laughs> yeah, but the, the, the velociraptors in Jurassic Park, they were vindictive evil mm, things mm. and that's just really not accurate. Could you see a bunch too. of lions doing that, trying to open doors and bashing themselves into things to get through? They would just look around, see that it's not going to work and go somewhere else. That's right. Eat, yeah. eat a fat tourist somewhere else. Yeah. Yep. yeah there you but go. lions aren't as smart as velociraptors. That was the point. Oh, They're right. smart. Big brains. Right, okay. Yes, smart and evil. That's not, yeah, that's yeah. right. Yes, Because everything with big brains is evil. <laughs> not evil, they're just hungry. Evil. <laughs> Alright. Enough about movies. Oh, I get it. I get it. Yeah, human. Man. Man. Man is yeah, the most man. dangerous game. That's I got the, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got it. I'm gonna yeah. write a story about that one day. Anyway, enough of this. <laughs> um, we it's enough about Jurassic World. Back to your job. So mm-hmm. when you go out in the world, when you finally you, you fling open the doors and you throw your little fluffy cap in the air, because it's really cool, you get that fluffy cap being a PhD yes. person. Yes, the mortarboard. Uh, that, but no, it's not it's, a mortarboard. Don't you get the actual fluffy one? You don't get a mortarboard. You get oh like yeah, a, no, you do for a PhD. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you're right, you're right. How, just how do you not know this? The only reason I'm no, no, but that's, that's the only reason I want to become a PhD myself is so I can get to wear the floppy hat. Oh, you're looking that, forward to that hat. I, it's that oh, hat. one of the very few who look forward to that hat. Oh, it's a fantastic That hat. must be very disappointing to think that the hat that you're getting is all smooth and sort of scaly and to receive one that's kind of sort of fluffy and floppy. <laughs> and... Feather, feather-like structure. Oh, very, yeah. Okay, yeah. That's very good. So when you go into the world, what does a taphonist... Taphonist? Ah, damn it! <laughs> a taphonist plays the taphone so, in an so, orchestra. So... so <laughs> <laughs> what, is it, what, what do you want to hope to do? What will you go into the world and do? Yeah, well, I would love to work in the museum sector. Mm. So to be a curator at the end of the day. Oh, okay. Yeah, and that's not something that you immediately step into, mm. of course, but... Uh, the, the road a lot more brandy. To... Have to drink a lot more brandy. Yes. And so they're going to have a curator. And elbow patches on coats. Yes. yes. Yeah. And you yes. can't just <laughs> cut holes in the, in the elbows. No, no. You've got to no, wear them no, in. Yes. You've got, you got to wear that, that, that takes at least 30 years. elbow nice... patches. Yep. Yep. <laughs> They're a real so thing. you want to be Graham Garden from the goodies, basically. Pretty much. That's, I understand that. That's yeah. good. That's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so go on. I <laughs> No, no, no. So um, <laughs> postdoc is the first step. Mm. So that's almost like another PhD, but a bit shorter. So more research. You, yeah, you apply for funding mm. and you do more research, publish papers, mm. and you may do a second postdoc. Some people do postdocs for years and years and years. But mm. really it's in aid of getting a job at a museum, so being a, an assistant curator or a curator or whatever, right, depending okay. on what level you can step in. So if I worked at a paint store mm-hmm. and I looked at all the different colours of white that there were, I would get really good at recognising those different colours of white. Yes. In your training to do this job, what sort of things have you become really good at noticing or looking at? Fracture patterns on bones. Wow. Well, it's one of them, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Right. <laughs> yes. Yes. Very, very specific thing. So yeah, that, that's one of the things. And then just looking at the way skeletons are articulated. So whether arms and legs are where they're supposed to be or rotated mm. around. So you, instead of just when I first started, I could tell whether uh, a it leg was bone was in the right place or not roughly. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. That it was dead to start with. Wasn't leaving. That's not right. Stamp. But uh, yeah, now now I can look at those bones and see whether they're actually rotated around mm. the wrong way. So you mean like so with the Archaeopteryx? I remember that the, the, a lot of those things, their heads are 
they're like almost the tucking their arched back. Uh, arched back, yeah, yeah, very, yeah. that curve, that perfect curve, yeah. and almost like their 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 beak, their their snout yes. is touching their own bottom, basically. Yeah, so yeah. Bent all the way around. So that's yeah, that's a, mm. the classic death pose mm. in paleontology. That's all paleontologists have found what? that way. So. so why why is that? There's been a couple of fairly recent papers on why that might be. Yeah. One paper got a bunch of chicken necks, these authors, and mm-hmm. put them in water mm. and found that the muscles tighten in one direction and not in the other. Ah, and make. But like, that, that's yeah. without having a skull and the rest of the body attached. Ah, okay. Yeah. I, I've done some experiments with crocodiles, mm. saltwater crocodiles, baby ones, um, and some of them did that neck curling back thing as well, and I think it's because they were floating as they were decaying, so like, you know, like mm. when you poor pet fish might float to the mm-hmm. top of the tank <laughs> because they've got long necks and long snouts that was pulling their head and neck back as they were floating oh, and it's sort of locked right. in that position like you well you'll have rigor set mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. and then if there's nothing else disturbing it or pushing it around it might just sink to the bottom in that same position but it's it's still not 100% solved as to mm. why this happens it happens in desert environments as well oh, with these okay. fossils like in, in desert looking places and people have said oh perhaps it's just really strong desert yeah. winds that are burying and like bringing sand along and burying these bodies maybe they're pushing ah. the necks and tails back as well interesting maybe yeah. it's because when you're scared you scream and you scream and your your head your nose goes up as you go ah! <laughs> my, my my theory is similar to yours here's a smart and a better second theory about this they were they were quite nervous and so they heard a noise behind them and went, what's that? And they could move their head backwards <laughs> so far. Ah. It snapped their neck and they just died. And that's, how they, that's why they're not here today. So they're all fretful. And you'd use taphonomy to figure that Maybe, out. Maybe, well, I'll hire the best taphonomist we've ever met. Yeah. So <laughs> it's, it's, I've only met one. I think that's a compliment. Yay! <laughs> so, Caitlin, you're yep. out on a bushwalk with a friend, mm-hmm. say a suitor. Yeah, let's do a suitor. And, um, and you stumble across... <laughs> A <laughs> skeleton. What? A human skeleton. Okay, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you why, Suda. Okay, good. No, no, no. I just, I'm, I'm intrigued, actually. Yeah. Anyway, please go on, yeah. go on. So, and you, find, and you find the skeleton, and you're like, oh, my God, a skeleton. Oh, my God, this guy must have died of natural causes. And then you, are you able to look at that skeleton and look at fracture patterns and go... No, Suta, who I want to impress. <laughs> oh, I see. Oh. Right. This man... Was murdered. Well, that is the only reason why I do what I do. <laughs> but I'm not saying no, that I'm not. Yeah. No, 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 no. Don't <laughs> paint me in a. I'm not that saying that the only the, reason yeah, of a girl yeah. is to impress a boy. What I'm saying <laughs> is, as a side effect of being impress, very talented, she doesn't have to impress boys either, Dan. Technically. Well, she wants to procreate. This is going down a rabbit hole. <laughs> that we, no, it doesn't have to be of a gender different to yours. Welcome to the 21st century. No, that's true as well. Good. I didn't make that statement at the beginning. That's why I said a suitor rather you're than digging, a boyfriend. You're digging, you're digging. You're digging. Keep digging. <sighs> I found a fossil. <laughs> anyway, so the, what's the point? So the point is, can, can Caitlin use mm. her magical university powers to yes. impress people? No. Yes? To impress anyone. <laughs> I'd be impressed. <laughs> I don't want to suit her, Are you, but you, I'd be interested to what? to know. I'd oh, be, I'd, I want to see it sh- do Sherlock stuff. Anyway, I'm going to ask a question in a non-dumb way. Uh, that's it. Aww. Question is, question is, can you use your knowledge, even though it's, you're technically a paleontologist? Could you use that to for for modern day things as well? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah, to a degree. So that's so, question, Dan. So there you go. Sorry. Because Sorry. specifically, because I work on vertebrates, yeah, so right. things with two arms, two legs, mm. backbone. So, okay. you know, obviously humans fall into that category. All dinosaurs do as well. Yep. If it was that's some cool. <laughs> muscle or clam or mm. anything that's not a backbone vertebrate, I'd be struggling to figure out 
what's right. going on. I mean, there's still stuff you could, you know, yeah. tell, but... Yeah. So, uh, there, there this are... clam was murdered! <laughs> there, are, there are different <laughs> fracture patterns. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> Uh, there that's, is, that's sorry. That's that's a CSI I want to watch. That, that, there it is. <laughs> Welcome to Clam Beach. And, uh, and David, what's his name? <laughs> sorry. Going. It yeah. seems that the murderer was a little bit shellfish. Anyway, but you were saying that uh, there are different fracture patterns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if. A different fracture pattern for what, if it just for snapped fracture. or if it fell or... Yeah, yeah, hmm. there's that. So you might have a clean Slip break or green stick fracture, which is just the bone bending hmm. and mm-hmm. not cleanly breaking. Or it might be a crushing injury. And then depending on how old the bone is, so fresh bone will behave differently to really, really old bone that's been weathering for years or oh, whatever. So, so the structure of the bone changes. Yeah, yeah. Collagen breaks down. Collagen's pretty strong, so it will stick around for a fairly long time, but it mm. does start to break down. Mm. So a fresh bone, you can, so in, in um, people, you can get green stick fractures all the time. Mm-hmm. All the time. All the, t- <laughs> so all the time. What I mean is it's a common Everyone, picture. Every time Caitlin hangs out with someone, they get a green stick fracture. Mm. All the time, Dan. I don't want to be a suitor anymore. (laughs) 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 Anyway, Um, does this sort of so so green stick fractures? Yeah, oh yeah. So bone can bend and bend back again when it's fresh, but if it's really old and starting to decay, then it will just snap. Just snaps. Now, does that information get preserved in fossils? Yeah. So if you have a green stick fracture and it died, uh, and before it can heal up, then it, that yeah. would be preserved. Yeah, yeah, you'd see that. So you see spiral fractures and okay. fractures that are parallel to the bone fibre or perpendicular. This might sound like an incredibly stupid question, yeah. but but how do you know the difference between a fracture that's in the bone mm-hmm. as it was fossil or before it's fossilised mm-hmm. and a fracture of the stone now that it's fossilised? It's not a dumb question at all. Like, that is that is one of the hardest things to figure out. Oh, okay. So that's not an easy thing. You can't say that's a... You, you can figure it out in some fossils. So right. if you have a fracture that's then been filled with the same mineral that has replaced all the bones and you know sand and that sort of thing, yep. then that is a fracture that happened early on. Right. And then the animal's been fossilised and things okay. have been filled. But if you have a fresh fracture as it were so you've um dig this fossil out of the ground and accidentally fractured a bit of bone mm. you'll see what well it's hard to describe but it'll look like a, a different color of bone than what you're seeing so the weathered surface right. of the bone might be like a, a brownie pink color mm. and if you have a new fracture you're exposing minerals that haven't been oh, weathered okay. so you'll be able to see that color change okay yeah, yeah. right yeah. okay yeah yeah it's, it's, and also if there aren't right. any minerals or parts of the the sand if it's a sandstone or mud or whatever in that fracture mm. if it's not filled up with anything yeah then it's probably uh, a more recent fracture okay yeah okay yeah, i see that it makes yeah. sense so in your studies, have you been involved in any groundbreaking or uh, uh, surprising? That's very good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, any, or, or, or any discoveries that are particularly exciting? Yeah, yeah. Well, for me, I find it exciting. Oh, look, this is smart enough, no better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're going to find okay, it exciting. It exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's exciting. Uh, yeah, I, um, I mentioned before I did a decay experiment using some saltwater crocodile that's right. babies, mm-hmm. juveniles. Um, we glossed over the fact that you killed them. I didn't kill them. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there you go. Oh my goodness! Experiment, so I am guilt free. Oh, good! You just found some dead ones. Experiment or lunch? Experiment. Okay. Okay. Experiment. Even more interestingly, they used to live on the roof of this building, but that's another story. Dude, wait! No, no. (laughs) hang on! You can't just drop that on. It's not another story. That's the story. All right. right. They used to be what? So we're in the biological sciences building at UQ. Now I'm I'm watching the door. 
That's why the sandbags are there. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happens when it floods. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> They're coming! <laughs> Not again! We had some tanks on the roof of this building and aviaries and other things. Um, and in these tanks were some juvenile saltwater crocodiles. And they, they were part of an experiment on growth rates in crocodiles. So some were being fed a mixture of chicken and beef and other terrestrial animal meat. Mm-hmm. And the other ones were being fed fish. Mm-hmm. And the idea was to see whether they <laughs> change in growth, which is useful. Group C was uh, is a private <laughs> nothing experiment. But, nothing but burgers. <laughs> But uh, it, it's useful information not just for us but for mm. crocodile farms because mm. they mm. want to grow animals as quickly as yeah. they Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. So those mm. animals <laughs> were used in that experiment and then a second experiment was looking at the inside of their bones. So that's why they had to be euthanised. Yeah. Um, and after this person looked at the crocodile bone, they handed those carcasses on to me okay. and I could experiment with them. <laughs> ah. And what did, you, what did you find? What did you find? Well, they make great glove puppets. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I put them into fish tanks full of water Mm. and I I just wanted to see whether they floated when they were dead straight Mm. away, whether they would sink to the bottom, whether they might pop back up again, fill up with decay gases and that sort of thing. Mm. Because for my research, I have a crocodile fossil Mm. and I want to figure out what happened to it. So I went to the literature to try and find out what happens to modern crocodiles when Mm. they decay. What's the normal pattern that you should expect? And there wasn't anything on it. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. exciting. Yes, yeah, it yeah. is. Yeah. So there are there are taphonomic experiments on crocodiles for looking at how the bone decays, looking at flies visiting carcasses and what type of insects visit crocodile mm-hmm. carcasses, but nothing for how does a crocodile decay in water? What's mm, a normal mm. pattern? So I just wanted to yeah do that, a baseline study to see what was normal. And uh, yeah, I found that they float to the surface about a day after death mm. and stay at the surface for about a, a week or two. Mm. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. And, well, then, and by the Yeah, and by the time yeah. they sink, they just crumble to bits and the bones become completely jumbled up. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, and if you didn't know anybody, you might look at that and think, okay, this skeleton has been pushed around by currents or it's been eaten uh, by something and disturbed. But I knew because I had them in these tanks with mesh over the top of the tank to stop anything getting in, <laughs> apart from flies. I let flies mm. come in and, and lay maggots on them. Okay. But I knew that it was just the normal... Pattern and for... whose office did this experiment <laughs> take place in? It took place on campus, but far, far away. Uh, yeah, yes. down by the river. So what did that prove? That showed that... That showed that without any outside influence, so mm. without any water currents, wind blowing stuff around, scavengers messing up the bones of the carcasses, mm. that they still crumble to bits and disarticulate and look like a jumbled mess all right. on their own. It's not going to fall in a nice pattern yeah, on, exactly. the, on the floor. So okay. I, I did, for two of those carcasses, mm. I buried them immediately. And not so surprisingly, they looked pristine. You know, there Mm. wasn't any movement once they were buried in sand. There wasn't Mm. anywhere for the bones to go. And I had thought that it would look the same as the carcasses that were placed in water and not disturbed. I just assumed that that would be the same pattern. And that would be the takeaway is, oh, being in a calm body of water Mm. with a a body decaying in a calm body of water, it's going to look exactly the same as something that was buried immediately. But that's not actually the case. And is that because, was your initial hypothesis because you'd assume that the animal would float for a bit and then sink to the bottom and then decay in a nice sort of, and and its bones will be nicely all together? Yeah, yeah. I I, I assumed that it would sink relatively quickly and that a lot of muscles and skin and scales would still be attached and holding Mm. everything in place but it's because when they floated their heads tipped right back and their tails and their legs dropped right down it was only the stomach that was at the surface Mm. they took on this really weird posture Mm. and then when they sunk going all the way yeah 
Yes, yes, exactly. Oh. And then when they sunk, they sort of landed on their noses and tails first and everything sort of crumpled. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. That's really interesting. Okay. Yeah, that, yeah. That, that. So it means that when I'm looking at the fossil crocodile that I've got yeah. and it's beautifully preserved, it's nicely articulated, everything, most ooh, ooh, of everything's where can, it's supposed can, to be. Can we, can, we, can we jump in for a moment? Can yeah. I, okay, okay, what you've told us, this means that it didn't die at the top of a bo- in a body of water. Yes. It, and it didn't have, it must have been covered very quickly with something. Yeah, that's right. Oh, got it. Yeah. One. Uh-huh. One yep. High five. No. Nah. Oh, look, I've got that sore throat. High five. Who knows? You might. High five. I don't want to get something else from high you. High five. I've already got one card. High five. No, get a high five from her. Oh, for goodness sake. High five. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I mean, that's sort of mood. <laughs> right. You leave me hanging. We, we have a rule. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. So that's good. Okay. So, it, so now you know the animal must have been covered in sediment. Yeah, exactly. Mm, okay. Yeah. I know what's that's normal really, uh, for a modern crocodile. Yeah. Well, for it, if you want to get specific for a juvenile saltwater crocodile, what's normal? Yeah. It might be a bit different for alligators and caiman. So you knew that there were alli- uh, crocodiles on the roof. Yeah. And you knew the person who was doing the experiment? Yes. Did yes. you have to have a conversation where you were like, hey, uh, I had that conversation go? Yeah, no, well, it's actually, it was really <laughs> fortuitous because, so the, the person doing the experiments was in my lab. So I knew that those experiments were going on. I knew that these mm-hmm. animals were going to be euthanized relatively soon. At the same time, I was doing my literature search for how do crocodiles decay and expecting to find lots of studies on them anyway. And it just happened, the timing was right, that about the time that I found no papers on decay in freshwater of crocodiles, this person was reaching the time in their experiment because they were were Mm. doing an honours project, so Mm. it was a finite time for them to get their data. Yeah, so I knew that these crocs were going to be euthanised and I said, what are you going to do with them afterwards? you spotted it in the bin and went, are you done with this? Yeah, yeah. I did. I guess, yeah, I did. Are you going to eat all of that? <laughs> it's a semi-weird conversation, but it doesn't seem weird when you're in a biological sciences building and, you know, there's lots sure, of... Sure, a lot of things don't seem weird. Yeah. Go on here. <laughs> Everything we said today, all the sensible things, forget the silly things, mm-hmm. what, what's the question we should have asked? Like, what's the thing that, that when people are talking to you about your job, about your studies, that you always go, oh, why didn't they ask me about that thing? Why doesn't anyone know? We don't know enough to ask. I'm happy if people just start with the basic paleontology. If I mention the word taphonomy, they say, what's mm. that? And expand on it. Mm. And normally with shows like CSI and mm. ordered type crime shows, well, Bones, I guess, is actually more similar. <laughs> people are kind of already on board with yeah, what yeah. does it mean to look at a body and try to figure out clues and understand mm. what happened to it. So if you yeah. find a, a velociraptor skeleton fossilised and there's also the fossilised written in blood, murdy, you could probably figure <laughs> out from that. Yeah, for what happened. Yeah, what's... yeah, yeah. <laughs> like a little trail dot, 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 dot. and right, then a right. finger That's right. at the end. It yeah. was yeah. TR. Who's TR? Well, I guess A body of knowledge like you have, mm. it doesn't necessarily follow one path. Mm. Could your job take you down a path of forensic science? Yeah, definitely. Mm. So there's a new body farm that's just been opened in New South Wales. <laughs> oh, really? Australia's first body farm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the person heading up that institution has said that she's interested in bodies decaying in the odours that they produce, Mm. training cadaver dogs to track a body that might be fresh and a body that might be weeks old. Mm. And she's, yeah, she's also put a call out for archaeologists, paleontologists, anyone who's interested in how things decay and disarticulate and that sort of thing to to get on board and to propose projects. (laughs) So, yeah, you can can definitely go down. I can can stay doing paleontological stuff Mm. and use that body farm and just get uh, carcasses of modern animals as analogues for dinosaurs and that sort of thing. But I could go into archaeology. And mm. that could lead into 
forensic science on modern humans. So if you say that our dog, we had to take him to a farm <laughs> in order to stop your kids from being upset, mm. you do the same thing about grandpa now. <laughs> Oh, mm. have to be. Doesn't have to be an analog. No, actually, actually it's my analog. Actually, just, that's, that's something interesting. Then we need to talk about. I think. Yeah. So, is it analogs of dinosaurs? That's that's a big. That, that's, no, yeah, that's a big yeah, claim. Analogs of dinosaurs. Yeah. I mean, because as, 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 correct me if I'm wrong, but mm. we don't even know if they were cold or warm blooded. Technically. Technically, I mean, right. they seem to be very active. Mm. Most likely, warm blooded. Right. But okay. um, no, there there aren't any really neat. Analogs for them today. Mm. Birds are dinosaurs, but they're highly derived mm. dinosaurs that have got really light bones and yeah. feathers. Did dinosaurs have uh, hollow bones like most dinosaurs? Some, some of them did. Right. Yeah. Okay. I think some of the biggest sauropods, I was reading something recently, and it's, it's old news to people who work on sauropods, but mm. because I, mm. I don't, it was new to me, have fairly hollow bones because they are so mm. huge. Oh, you really can't it. have oh. solid bone be that big right. and have enough muscle to, to carry yourself. That's where they keep their second really brain. For controlling the back half of them. <laughs> I don't think that's no, true. That's not no, true. That's no, all, that was... that's not true. Okay. But but that people proposed that because mm. there is this big air pocket. Oh, yeah. that's what it was for. Yeah. Right. Okay. That's why I always wondered why they thought that. Yeah. So they thought something must be in that. But something, it, yeah. Something must be in that. But it was just that. like a, a hollow bone of, of an animal. Oh, there might have been. It might have been used for something else. That's but it where certainly the wasn't a hind set. brain. Hind brain. Yes. <laughs> it's such a great idea. Hind brain. I'm pretty sure that oh, that myth came about from somebody doing an interview and saying an offhand sarcastic remark. Mm. Oh, really? It was, it was taken as the truth, right. possible truth. Yeah. It's kind of like <laughs> the name of the Big Bang. Where, uh, Fred Hoyle uh, to, to create a universe and Big Bang, and someone and. and he, and because he didn't like the idea that the universe came from a point, he went, it's like a big bang, and now and he made it as a derogatory comment, and now it's like the name of the start of the universe. Uh, or Schrodinger's yes. cat. Schrodinger's cat was uh, actually designed to prove that how ridiculous the idea. Anyway, yeah. we're off. Yeah. We're off <laughs> yeah, okay. Mammals being similar size and shapes, a lot right. of mammals. So really, so we, when mammals were there, they were only small little rodenty things, weren't they, or, or badgery yeah. things? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, modern mammals, you know, they can be not as big as sauropod dinosaurs, mm. of course. But you've got that nice. The tetrapod st- stance with the legs directly underneath the body. Mm. So that's the problem with, say, if you wanted to use crocodiles as an analogue for dinosaurs, is that mm. the legs are sprawled out to the side, so those right. articulations aren't quite the same. Modern cows and sheep and lions and a all that walrus. sort of thing are, are more similar morphologically. I know a lot of paleontologists hate me for saying <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, They're not really. Yeah, yeah. But the fact that they have four legs that they walk around on that are directly underneath their body okay, yeah, makes right. them kind of similar. Mm. So what you can do is combine data sets from the way birds decay because mm. they are dinosaurs mm. and how mammals decay because they actually are more morphologically similar than a flying bird. Right, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so you've got to you've mm. kind of... Kind of Combine everything. And so you guys say, here are the parts that are similar, here are the parts that are different. Yeah, here's yeah. why it works and here's why it doesn't work. And we just, yeah. get different, and we just keep throwing dead animals in a hole and <laughs> see what happens. Uh, we're yeah. going to work something out in the end. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and then there's an interesting problem of feathers on dinosaurs, how far back that goes and how that yeah. affects decay. Mm, so if you've got mm. something covered with fur versus scales versus feathers, mm. might float for longer in a body of water if the air is trapped oh, in feathers. In for time to get a budgie in a fish tank. <laughs> <laughs> Take that, bald-headed eagle. Splash. (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh, say can you see my funding going away? So you've borrowed one of the six remaining golden condors. Five remaining. He's still struggling. Anyway, so these animals we have to keep using because there's no other way of doing it. You can't see something decays unless you see something decay. Yes. If humans needed to, they wanted to donate their body to science with these. That would be useful. Yes. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Listeners, get on in that. Yeah, now that we've got a body farm, get on to PhD tank. PhD candidate. What are you saying, Dan? I'm, I'm slimming down, Dan, for goodness sake. That was very rude. We'll fill it full of little crocodiles. <laughs> what? I'm mixing up experiments. I think you are. You're, tor- mm. you're torturing me, and that's what you're trying to do. Okay. It's the news. Do you want to talk about the news? Well, well yeah. we got Brontosaurus back, didn't we? We yes. did. Oh, yes. It's so good, finally. Yep, although I do get a little bit annoyed at the people who said, oh, we were right all along for saying mm. Brontosaurus. No, you were still wrong. Yeah. You're still wrong. We've got the name back now, but it doesn't mean that you could be saying it for the last hundred years and be right. Yeah, right, yeah. 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 It's like Pluto. Just... Pluto's not a planet. Anyway, uh, moving on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's just my thing. Stupid dwarf planet. All right. Uh, yeah, so, it, it, what, well, what is that? Okay. Sizest. It's not, it's not size, Dan. It's, not, it's clearing its orbit. And I'm not going there. I'm not going there. <laughs> Ridiculous. So when feathered dinosaurs... Old hat. That's 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 decades old now. That's that's like mm-hmm. you know, people. Bah, whatever. Yep. What's the new sexy thing about dinosaurs that most people probably wouldn't know about? Thing that made you go whoa. Well, there was a new paper out today Ooh. that made me go whoa, and a lot of other paleontologists. Hmm. So a fossil of a dinosaur that has feathers, but Boom. it also has. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it also has bat-like wings. So what? membrane on its Whoa, wings. Whoa, that is weird. So it's not flying with feathers. It's flying or maybe gliding with wow. membrane. And it wasn't skin. a bird. It's a, it's a dinosaur. It's a dinosaur. So it's not on that bird lineage. Oh, my so goodness. So this is a, a fossil from the Jurassic of China. Right. Mm. Yeah. It's and it's, after it's birds called developed. E- Ichi. It's the shortest species and genus name. It's YI yep. is the uh... genus and QI is the species. <laughs> and it's nice. impossible Ichi. to look for on Google because <laughs> the two words that make up its name also mean like strange. a dozen other things in yeah, China. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So well, it's impossible it's, to find. It's, it's Mandarin for strange wing, I'm pretty oh, sure. Oh, okay. All ah, right. So, but hang on, it's, a, it's, a, it's got a membrane. We yeah, it's like never, a bird, bat, but neither. And I'm guessing we wouldn't know anything about that before because that's a skin and you wouldn't yeah, get to see so that normally. Yeah, so taphonomy to the rescue again. Yeah, You've got right. to get the right preservational conditions to find not only feathers but yeah. membrane especially. But for this particular fossil... The reason why it's stuck out is it has this extra... It's not a digit, but Mm. it's got a bony cartilage projection off the wrist. Right. And these authors are proposing would help hold up membrane on a wing. So bats do have something similar on their ankles. Okay. Yeah, like right. an extra little projection. They normally use it on their front ones. They normally have the, their, like their, their thumbs. Fingers. The fingers. Yeah, yeah their the, fingers. Yeah, really yeah, big. yeah, yeah. But on this right. particular dinosaur, uh. most of their fingers are elongated. They've got three mm. fingers. And the fourth, I think it is, is really elongated. But then there's also this projection off the wrist right. to help that structure, if that is what it is. Yeah. It's what it looks like. So there's, there's evidence of feathers along the body and along wow. the front edge of the wing. And then there's this other sort of shadow of a structure along the back, and that's what these authors are saying is a, a skin membrane. A membrane of some sort. Yeah. Is that the, and that's the first membrane dinosaur that's ever been found. That, like that, yeah. That, that, like a bat, basically. Yeah. That's weird. Yeah. That is, and how big was this animal? Oh, small. It's yeah, small, like right. chicken, chicken size. Right, okay, yeah, yeah. The, the well, like a T-Rex, like some sort of giant... <laughs> so that would be brilliant. No, it's too heavy, of course. Um, that's amazing. That is yeah, that's, that's, it's really weird. Part of me goes, oh, my goodness. And the other part of me goes, well, of course, because 
what, how long dinosaurs lasted? What about a hundred million years? Mm-hmm. So about roughly a hundred million. Uh, from like two fifty to sixty five. So. How so long that is? Yeah, there you go. So yeah, yeah okay. 175. Yeah, so yeah. a long time. So it, it's not that weird. 185. It's not, it's not that weird to think they evolved all sorts of weird things because yeah. mammals haven't been around for that long. Yeah, mammals have been around and for a lot less. And you have gliding squirrels. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's right. Yeah, and we, yeah. And, yeah, that's really interesting. And iPods. And we have bats. And that obviously bats fly. Yeah. Bats that actually have, have true flies. Yeah. So the flying squirrels that yeah. we have today yeah. do yeah. have yeah. this body projection as well. So what was that, Zane? Oh, the, um, flying Mammals flying made jet there. engines. <laughs> not, not, no. They, do. they made helicopters. Uh, <laughs> they're amazing. Yeah, modern flying squirrels have... Or well, the Japanese flying squirrel specifically has a bony projection off its wrist. Right. So it looks so in an like this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right, okay. Yeah, so convergent evolution. So I'm assuming you're going to be grabbing a lot of Japanese flying squirrels and burying them in sand. Yeah. So. <laughs> Maybe, maybe. (laughs) That would be be the plan. (laughs) See, there's definitely no analogue for this dinosaur because feathers and membrane-y That's weird. That is really weird. Yeah. Oh, I'm excited about that. So it's the evolution of flight except... Twice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, That that line sort of stopped and then birds evolve later on. Doing it in a different way. Yeah. Doing it in a very different way. And with our minds blown... I think that's a good time to wrap it up. Like it Thank you very much, uh, PhD candidate Caitlin Syme of the University of Queensland. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you again to Caitlin Syme. That was so cool. That was such a fun interview to stand there. I What I love about that interview was, was serendipity, how we met. So it's very rare. As everyone knows, I'm a bit of a misanthrope and... Sometimes I find social gatherings of strange people a bit stressful sometimes. And that's because I don't know what to do with myself. I don't know, uh, you know, how to behave in polite company. Well, you keep bringing up space travel. Surprisingly small amount of people are interested in that these days. Yes, this is true. This is true. They just wish I'd hurry up and go. And so I met Caitlin as the partner of a friend of ours. And so that was kind of a new person. I was like, oh, that's a new person. And I sort of did the polite thing. Hello, you know, I'm Greg, blah, blah, blah. And then, and then I said, oh, and what do you do? Which is that thing that everyone asks. And you kind of go, oh, they're going to say accountant or teacher or something. You know, oh, uh, oh, uh, uh. I work at a crystal store. Yeah. Uh. And it's just normally something I go, oh, no, don't tell me about like, oh, like doctors. Oh, don't tell me about this, where I extracted this thing from. Like, no, please don't. We love interviewing doctors. Yes, we do, but not to, you know, extra, anyway. Sometimes like doctors talk to us about fecal transplants and it's the best. Really, it, it was, yeah, I know. And I sound like a horrible person. I apologize. But anyway, so Caitlin, <laughs> Caitlin turned to me and said, oh, I'm a paleontologist. And a little thing in my head went, ding. <laughs> that's, that's not boring. I went, oh, like. That's really interesting. I was actually interested. And then she sort of stopped. Oh, wait. No, actually, I'm not a paleontologist. I'm a taphonomist. And I went, ding, 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 Because my brain went, here's a Venn diagram that in one circle is paleontology, which I'm interested in, and the other circle of word I've never heard. And I went, she does a job which has got something to do with dinosaurs, but it's not quite paleontology. And there's a little Venn diagram saying, I, I need to find out. Everyone, shut up now. I want to talk to this woman and only this woman. Only I may speak to her for three hours. And after she stopped being terrified, uh, she said she'd be on the podcast. And that was the best night of going out ever. <laughs> I was so excited to meet someone. And, so, and yeah, these, I was very happy. So thank you to Caitlin Syme for, for putting up with me and coming and talking on the podcast. You should go to her blog. She has an amazing blog where she talks about once a week, once every two weeks, about something really in-depth about paleontology, stuff that you don't even know is important. And you read it and you go, why didn't I know this? Because she knows her stuff. 
You have been listening to Dan at smartenough.org. And that other misanthrope is Greg at smartenough.org. You can follow us on Twitter, SE2KB. And why not Facebook? SE2KB. Sure. And also iTunes. Please uh, review us, rate us, and yes. subscribe if you've not yet subscribed. All that goofy junk. Get in there and subscribe. We got a little bit of different, a uh, little bit of housekeeping. Um, number one, Smart Enough No Better is now on the air. Kind yes, of. We are. It's it's for <laughs> Wow Internet Radio. Yay. So it's a local internet radio station, and uh, they have picked up Smart Enough No Better to Brisbane. start in Brisbane. But so apparently, it's, it's world local. famous. Not the local, not the local where the listeners sitting, which may be Brisbane, but most likely is not, because we have people all over the world. People, we're not, we're not just a Brisbane base. We're Brisbane based, but we are all over the. I I don't we're know how the internet works. <laughs> I'm just saying, don't just say local. Okay, just fair enough. <laughs> On an interstellar level, you're a local right. internet radio station. <laughs> fair enough. Well played, sir. Well played. <laughs> anyway, so it's 4WOW. Well. So, so if you've well come from 4WOW, well, uh, thank you very much for tuning in. Yes. We're delighted to have you here. Yay. So they're going through our back catalogue, aren't yep. they? So don't forget to follow us on Twitter uh, in 2019 when they finally catch up. <laughs> yes, please, if you do hear this and you've come from, from 4WOW, let us know. Let us know on Twitter. We'd love to know if anyone's actually listening to 4WOW because, well, basically we're excited to be on there. Yep. Now, a previous podcast interviewee, Peter Boghosian, is oh, yes, going yes. to be uh, in your local area <laughs> in Brisbane. Yeah. The Brisbane Skeptic Society are hosting an event on the 2nd of July at the QUT Gardens Point. So we're going to have a link on the website to give you all the information you need to know to go along to listen to Peter Boghosian talk about uh, atheism and how to talk to people who are not atheists. That sounds like something that I want to see. Hey, wait a second. That's not the only link on the Smart Enough website. There's a whole bunch of different links to all the stuff that we've talked about in this interview, including stuff about the flying dinosaur, Yi Chi, oh, yes, yes, and yes. uh, the Body Farm, Australia's first body uh, farm. Body farm. So get along to smartenough.org and uh, hey, have a chat in the comments section. Yay. And as we always like to say, Dan was saying crazy things and now he's changing his mind. Well, yeah, well, you were saying that it was it was mean of me. <laughs> it's probably sneaked up behind it. Yes. Hey. So am Ooh. I adjusted right? Not at all. No. And neither is your microphone. Okay. I'll stop it. Uh, uh, don't, uh, don't mock the guests. You know, he's much more respectful to guests than he's just being a bit Dan at the moment. <laughs> don't mind, Dan. It's not my fault. Okay, we're recording. We are recording All something. Right. Computer's still working. That's right. Well, when it explodes and that glass is blown into my face, like, ah, you know what happened. Glass? Yeah. Was, you really are old, aren't oh, you? Yeah, yeah, no plastic. They don't use glass. No one uses glass. They use glass. The whole point is, they go, this thing in my pocket, they go, it's the most powerful glass that's ever been. It's gorilla, gorilla glass. No, no, no. Sapphire it's, it's glass. It's gorilla glass. It's actually gorilla that's made transparent. <laughs> Just grind, grind it down. That's why it's so strong. That's, a, that's why it's so rare and expensive. <laughs> that's why there are no more gorillas. Aww. Oh, now I'm in the left-hand side. And Greg? Hello, I'm also on the left-hand side. Left-hand side. Hello, hello. Uh, the right-hand side. side. Brilliant. Yeah. It all gets merged to mono anyway, but makes it down for a bit. Ours, we're less important. <laughs> no, that's, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. 
the best fossil ever to find. I want, I want one day to find some sort of theropod that's died, but it seems to be clutching something that's like a sharpened stick. That's ah. all I want in this world. Is it? It's wearing a little mm. loincloth or something. Or, <laughs> some sort of, or a headdress of another feathered dinosaur. Headdress would be very cool. That I want to see oh, one yeah. clutching oh. a, a little device that says time travel remote. <laughs> <laughs>